Last week, we began talking about uh, trying to make a difference. And uh, last week, I talked about stressing to make a difference because there are people uh, I see more and more that are stressed about trying to catch up with our world, with our culture, trying to enter uh, a business world or a social media world and create a platform or authors or, or people are just trying to start out and, and with a new band, a new book or whatever it is, preachers that are hearing a good news message and now are trying to create a platform to get the news out. And they'll, they'll, they'll go onto everybody's Facebooks and add all these friends and, and try and, and make things happen. Um, I, I remember... Uh, in the 26, 27 years, this September or this October will be 27 years of pastoral ministry. And I've been part of, of a lot of leadership groups and training groups and church planting groups. And uh, I had to go through a whole assessment to see if I would qualify to be a church planter for one denomination. They actually sent us down, I think it was Philadelphia or do you remember where that was? Yeah, it was down in Pennsylvania. And uh, um, I spent two or three days there just being grilled by these two guys in the hotel room, personality profiles, and, you know, all creating a book of here is who you are. Okay, I have a book to tell me who I am. Who am I? Oh, cool! You know, just d- discovering who I was, uh, confirming some personality traits and revealing some flaws and so on. And then they would send a, a note to the head office of the denomination and say, okay, this guy is qualified for church planting. He would be a good church planter and so on. All that stuff, all in, in other leadership camps, where we're training pastors to build churches, to build numeric numbers. When people, the pastors get together, it's, oh, so how big's your church? How big's your church? Oh yeah, and the, the little guy, forty-five, you know, whatever number they have, and they're talking to a, a guy who has a church of six hundred, you know, and it makes you feel comparatively you're not doing anything. Most churches in North America are under hundred people. Most. And there's there's wisdom in discovering, okay, are we a growing church? Does it mean numerically or spiritually or what? Both have value. Are we having an impact in our community? Who are we as a church? So the danger then is we get these books and these conferences that say, here's how to be a better success wherever you are. So now you see these guys jockeying for position trying to get that top role because then they'll become a denominational leader or a business leader or they get their promotion at work. You you try to up it uh, through positive conferences and attitudes. You take a, a, um, who are some of these big speakers that talk about attitude and positive speaking? Who are some of these guys? Tony Robbins, uh, John Maxwell, anybody else? Jim Rowe, yeah. Uh, So these people add something very positive to our humanity and our social network. It really does. But what ends up happening, it becomes the method to something they want, not personal learning necessarily. It's used as a tool to step on top of people, to grow and build your thingy, your platform, at the expense. Because you're trying to make a difference. Usually it's your personal difference of making a heck of a lot of money. Usually. Often it could be for making me feel good making you feel good that you're, you have value and that you're important. And that's where some of the, the positive lessons from these, these kinds of teachers can bring you. They, they can speak positive into you, and we need more of that. But it's not about just speaking positive. There's more to it. 
for you and I who are in Christ and recognize Christ's life in us, the beauty is this. We have somebody in us orchestrating, guiding, and directing our lives to be the success he wants us to be. Because our definition of success and his definition of success could be very different. We're trying to help him out. I get in that temptation more often than I want to admit as a pastor or as a leader with Grace Walk or whatever. There's always a, hmm, I need to help God out and plan some strategies to make this thing better, to get the word out, because we have such a great message. And uh, like, seriously, we got to get this out there. So then I start to think, okay, what's another method? And I start looking back to some of these things and try and draw some positive principles, trying to help God out. When the truth is, I've had to stop and just think. I said, Father, <laughs> I'm trying to do something for you or trying to get a result that I feel I should have when maybe that's not even in your plan at all. And then I'm reminded, darn, it's not my church. <laughs> it's not your church. It's his church. Whether grows or dies or stays, or as we see in this, this particular fellowship, we've had people come and go. It's, it's in and out, in and out, and the numbers haven't changed a whole lot, just in and out. People move on. This is a stepping stone place for some people who need healing. So wh- why do I try so hard to make a difference? And then I found out that my joy comes from the things I do naturally, things that I enjoy doing, working with people, uh, teaching, uh, the funerals, you know, helping people in pain. I don't know why. It's, that's where I find fuel. You know, having encouraging conversations with people. That, that is a thrill. And then I look, I look at the rest of the church and I think, you each have different gifts. And some are trying or maybe feeling that you're not making a difference. Well, that's what I want to address today. You are making a difference, whether you know it or not, whether it's here or at work or at home. Each of us has the capacity and the power within us to make a difference in this world. Each of us, every single one of us, everyone here is qualified. Everybody hearing this is qualified. I want to take a look at uh, some people that have made a difference and didn't even realize it. Vincent van Gogh, you know who that is? Artist, person? Okay, good. Only sold one painting in his lifetime. One. He was poor. (laughs) One painting. Van Gogh is considered one of the greatest artists of all time. Yet the poor guy only sold one painting the entire time he was alive. The Red Vineyards at Arles, which is now in the Pushkin Museum of Fine Arts in Moscow. Even though he made no money, he painted over 900 works of art. His difference was revealed after his death. But I want one while I'm alive. I want to see the benefit, right? Does you think that? Thanks for bringing that up. Well, anyway. <laughs> Thomas Edison. He failed 1,000 times before creating the light bulb. Although the exact number is not for sure. It was between 1,000 and 10,000. But his quote says, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways it won't work. Probably reveals he tried a lot more than 1,000 of trying over and over again. You may think you're not making a difference. This is a good parenting one. <laughs> you think, oh, it's over and over again. They're not getting it. They're not growing up. They're not, they're not learning these lessons. It's okay. 
they are God's kid too. And he's got them. He is weaving in and out through our kids the work he's going to do in them. Albert Einstein. The guy didn't even speak until he was four. So you can imagine what the parents might have thought. Oh, we got a kid that won't matter much, won't be able to contribute to society. You remember all the parents, things you could be thinking? Oh no, all the help they're going to need? It's crazy. You begin to think, my kid will not contribute. They all contribute. Every single human, no matter what disability or what we call normal or non-normal, contribute and speak of positive energy in this world and bring encouragement and love. Every single one. That's why this whole stupid thing in down the States, the whole white supremacist march is so painful to watch because it's a complete misuse of scripture. Complete. We are equal. We are all equal. Gandhi, one man, through a salt protest, the uh, government was controlling the the cost of salt and so on. And uh, so he encouraged people, use your own salt. Don't use the government salt. And it created a whole revolution. And he did it through peace and nonviolence. Nonviolence. <laughs> it turned into uh, the country being independent by 1949, something like that. Whatever it was. I forget the date. Correct me later. Then we have one person who decided to love and care for the sick, those who had leprosy, those who had AIDS, those who had horrific diseases, just by creating an environment of tenderness, care, and homes of safety. This little lady, Mother Teresa, impacted all of humanity. Everybody knows who she is. One little lady. And all she did, she did not try, Lord, what can I do more for you? How can I get my name out there? Um, yeah, can I build my profile if I set up another 20 homes? You know, and we, can, we can network this thing, God. She didn't. Her goal was love authentically and lived each moment at a time, and God did the reproduction of where it's going to go and impact people's lives. And this is where we have to learn that lesson. Let God figure out how the work that we're doing is going to impact. Let him take care of the results. We're too results-oriented, me included. We are. We, we, if we don't see results, we're, we think we're a failure. We're not, we're not doing anything of value. Here's one lady in Montgomery, 1955. What was her name? Got on a bus, and a white woman came up to her and says, you can't sit here. Get up. And she said, no. One little lady. You would never know her name had she not done that. And all she did was say no. One person, which then sparked a big strike, which sparked outbursts, which then began the civil rights movement. One little lady saying no. That's it. She didn't expect, now, if I do this, then I can do that. And then if I, if I say no now, we can create a board over here that can, can start to communicate with all sorts of people. We can have riots going. She didn't do any of that. 
one person impacted. Martin Luther. <laughs> Martin Luther on October 31st, 1571. <clears throat> that makes this year 500 years ago that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the Wittenberg door. 500 years exactly this October 31st. Halloween. Hmm, All Hallows Eve. Do you think he had an impact? Okay. Was it a positive one? Nobody's saying anything. Sure. What? Yes. It, it was all over the place. It depends on your perspective. <laughs> Some thought it was very negative, especially the Catholic Church. Okay. But the whole Protestant Reformation began with that. He wasn't the only one, but he was the, he's, the, he's the champion of it. Now people raise him up as some wonderful saint and, ooh, you know, let's, let's be like Martin Luther. Well, then you've got to go out and get drunk and, and smoke a lot and, and cuss and make fun of your peers and mock them. He was a, he was a foul-mouthed guy. Martin Luther. <laughs> You'd laugh at some of the things he'd say. I won't repeat them this morning. <laughs> Martin Luther, one man who had a conviction. He saw something wrong and he spoke out against those things. Can you look at your own life and see the individuals that have spoken into your life that caused a course change? It was at that moment, a pivotal time, a fork in the road. There were only two prongs. Somebody spoke, and it caused you to shift a direction. Do you have a face in mind or a name in mind? Maybe you have to think about this later because your mind doesn't work as fast. You know they're there, but these kinds of people spoke into your life. I have them in my life. Different people at different times of my life. I remember in public school, because I was ridiculed a lot, made a lot of fun of. I had a teacher that spoke encouragement into, into me, knowing how bullied I was, and his kindness will never be forgotten. His name was Jim Blackwell at Harold Wagner School. He was kind. He was firm, but he was kind. And he, he was a man of faith, and he spoke to me one day because I was being rather inconsistent with what I said I believed about and how I behaved. <laughs> that never happens, right? <laughs> I was misbehaving. And so he was kind in how he disciplined me. And I remembered that. And it changed how I acted for a time with those people. Then all through my life, different people spoke into my life. Course correction here, course correction there. Especially when negative things happened because there were some bad voices in my life. Bad circumstances. Evil, darkness that hit. And yet God, who is light, was in me and he brought people in at the right times. Sometimes I listened, other times I did not. You can make a difference. Even if it's just in one person's life. Parents, especially. You have your kids. You may have overlooked them now saying, wow, that, that's part of my job. No. It's a calling. You are a 
parent. You get to love them, especially as they're being raised. Once they're older and on their own, just love them. You can't instruct them, per se. They're out of your care now. But you can love them. Pray for them. Speak a kind word. You don't know what your demeanor and words can mean. But I can tell you what it means if it's negative. It'll fit the other voices in this world and confirm a lie they believe about themselves. That goes across the board at work, to your coworkers, to in the church, when you have a spat with somebody. Yes, church people fight. We're called human. We have spats. We have disagreements. But how we speak to each other matters. Be careful. This week, open your eyes. Pay attention. There will come an opportunity for you to speak life and light and a positive vibration into somebody's life. If you're not looking for it, you won't see it. You may do it supernaturally anyway, but I'm asking you, put your antenna up. Be aware of a moment of kindness that may come where you get to be the only person that was kind to that person that whole week. Or even a simple touch on the shoulder of encouragement or just simple touch. Touch matters. We're not alone. There are a lot of individuals in Scripture that have impacted people's lives with a simple act. And I want to highlight a few of them for you. And if we get lucky, we get to go, we'll go into next week. Uh, but these stories are juicy, and we can learn something from them. We can have a takeaway that says, yeah, that's, that is simple. Okay, maybe I don't have to think so big of how to make a difference. You are a difference. Now go be it. That's the simplicity of it. First person, a lady named Abigail. How many know the story of Abigail? All two of you. Okay, this will be great. I'm going to have to tell you the story. In 1 Samuel 25, this woman is described as beautiful and intelligent. The setting is this. David is not king yet, but Saul, is, King Saul, is trying to kill him. So David has this renegade of guys. I think it's like 600 guys. That's a pretty good renegade, okay? You wouldn't want to meet up with 600 armed guys ready to have a rebellion, right? So they're fleeing from King Saul, trying to save their lives, so they're far away. It's uh, shearing season, so they find this... Uh, uh, herd of sheep owned by a guy named Nabal, and uh, they decided to camp near it. And they thought, let's let's protect this herd. And apparently, there was like, is it seven here? No, but there's three thousand goat or sheep and two thousand goats, and like this this pretty good sized thing. And there's a, a constant history of bandits and and runaways coming trying to steal a couple here and there and create new flocks and theft was happening all the time. So they went and guarded. So as they were guarding, shearing time came and uh, it's festival time. So King uh, David, before he came king, he sent a message to Nabal. He said, hey Nabal, we've been... uh, taking care of your flock, you haven't lost a single one. How about you send us a couple uh, legs of lamb, you know, just to, as a thank you, and you know, we, we'd like to celebrate this, this festive season as well. 
well, this Nabal guy, by the way, if, if she, Abigail, was intelligent and beautiful, she was married to a sorry, good-for-nothing man named Nabal who is described as surly and mean in his dealings. He was not a good guy. Well, Nabal was ticked. He was living. He sent word back, and he basically gave him gesture, and, and that's it. He said, no. Well, David caught wind of this. He got the message, and he began to burn and boil with anger. So I am going after these guys. Not a single man is going to be alive by tomorrow morning. By God, my God, I will do this. So he heads to go and kill this ungrateful sloth of a man, just angry. He was just, oh, he's ticked. Don't forget, David is not king. He is young, <laughs> okay? Well, along comes this person, Abigail. She has heard that uh, uh, Nabal sent a negative message back to David. And she had heard from one of the other people that was by the herds, proving the protection. They said, these men were very good to us, one of the servants told Abigail. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Day and night, they were a wall around us. So that's pretty good protection, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So here's what she does. She packs up this unbelievable spread of food Sends it ahead with a servant. Um, she piled bread, meat, raisin cakes onto donkeys and headed out to meet David. And when she saw David, she dismounted. She met him part way. When Ab Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. This is my husband. Please don't pay any attention to him. That's my husband. He's a fool. That's my husband. Just at his name, as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men you sent. So she wasn't able to intervene and send part of the message. Here's what's happened. First of all, one lesson to learn is don't be a cheap taker, Nabal. Generosity begets generosity. We don't give to get. We give and we receive so we can give more and receive. And it's, it's, this is called the economy. We're not to hoard it. We're not called to be takers. So here, the lesson is don't be a cheap taker. But here, Abigail does something profound. She basically saves, first of all, her husband, and she saves David from committing murder. And David, as, after he sees what she has done and how she has taken the blame, he goes, oh my God, oh Lord, what was I about to do? And he thanks her says, thank you for stopping me from doing something so terrible and murderous in response. It's funny the things we do in anger, the decisions we make in anger. Terrible, terrible thing. She 
helped David before he became king to remain a man of integrity. So she went home to tell her husband, but he was partying too hard, and so she couldn't tell him until the next morning. She tells her husband what she did with the food. He instantly had a stroke. I think he popped a whistle and got, <clears throat> he was really angry. You know, and then got a stroke, self-induced. <laughs> he died 10 days later. So when David heard this, he sent a message. Would you marry me? I'm not sure what the traditional period of mourning was in those days, but I don't think Abigail observed it. Scripture says Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended with her five maids. Boom, gone, see ya! (laughs) Whoa! That's one person. And all she did was do the right thing. She saw the injustice. She saw the taker not being thankful. I I cringe when I see people receiving gifts and benefits and let's see people rally around a family and help them out. And it's as if there was an expectation, yeah, this is my entitlement. Because I'm having trouble, I'm entitled to help. And there's an entitlement attitude. That gets me angry. That makes me not want to help. If you're ever helped, say thank you. Show authentic thanks. My wife is really good at the thank you card thing. I'm terrible at it. I'll pick up a phone or send a text faster than I'll write a card. And yet, people love the card. A little more time seems to have gone into that. Show thanks. And one card can make a huge difference that will spur more generosity to somebody else. You don't know where it will go. One person. One little lady. (laughs) Here's another person. This is a simple thing. Making a difference. This is a personal encouragement. This is later now. King David has a son named Absalom. And Absalom is now trying to gear up the whole country secretly to align with him to become the new king. He wants to take his dad out. Okay? So now this whole thing's being set up. David hears about it, and he knows he's got to flee right away, or he will be killed. That's how it worked back then. There can't be two kings. And so as he was fleeing, he's bringing servants along, this one guy who just got there. He said to him, why don't you just stay? Are you kidding? You don't have to come along. Watch this. Oops. But Ittai, I don't know how to say it, said to the king, I vow by the Lord and by your own life that I will go wherever my Lord the king goes, no matter what happens, whether it means life or death. And David replied, all right, come with us. So Itai and all his men and their families went along. Do you know what that does for the esteem of a man who's running for his life? It was probably that spark of encouragement that lifted him to keep going. We don't know, I don't know, but you've got people in your life that are saying, I'm behind you 100%, no matter what. That's something you can do for people, to be an encouragement to them. Simple, personal encouragement. One guy. And that's all he said. Here's two women that uh, you probably never heard of. 
How many know who these are without reading the scripture? Shipra and Pua. I wouldn't want the name Pua, but anyway. <laughs> these are two Hebrew women that were in charge of helping babies get born. And the nation of Israel owes these two women a great debt. What they did in their simplicity, and you're talking about making a difference? Oh. So, history. Joseph, remember Joseph was, uh, he was second in command of Egypt after he got sold as a slave and all that stuff and the famine hit, blah, 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 blah. Then there were years of wonderfulness. And here's Joseph and everybody loves him and he dies and the, another pharaoh comes in and then another pharaoh. And by then, they have forgotten what Joseph did for the Egyptians. They see the numbers growing and they're becoming terrified. They're seeing the Israelites are seriously outnumbering the Egyptians. So this Pharaoh sends word to these two women. Say, okay, you're in charge of all this. No more boy babies. Girls, let them be born. Boys, you are to kill. Instructed. Okay, that's pretty serious edict, is it not? Yes. But they feared God and refer, refused to do what the king of Egypt ordered. Deliberately disobeying their leader's command, they delivered each tiny newborn with all the skill and ability they possessed. They continued to do what they were good at, delivering babies healthy in the best way they could, midwives, whatever you want to call them. Well, they sure got in trouble. And the king called them in. So what are you doing? How could you disobey me? Here's what they say. They're both wise and skilled. Hebrew women are not like Egyptian. They said to Pharaoh, they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. I said, they're good, they're fast. <laughs> Do you know how many babies they saved? A lot. I don't know. Even one made a difference. One person's life. Speaking encouragement to one person. Saving one person. Two women had a huge impact. And you didn't probably know their names. Well, you thought those names were funny. Huh. How about Bizel and Ohlab? I don't know how to say the names. I just don't. Uh, if I had a good Hebrew scholar here, he'd and say it all correctly. So here's something cool. Just to show you. You want to make a difference? The difference is already in you. The Lord has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts, so the next time we do a craft sale, okay, you guys can come out and participate and buy up these skilled people's gifts and help. Anyway, he is the master, a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He's a master at every craft. Who gave him that gift? God. All of our giftedness comes from God. Well, what about unbelievers? Same source, people. They just may not know it. 
There are so many skilled people out there doing all kinds of things. Architects, construction workers, sewers, you name it. All skilled by God. Every skill you have. This is the fingerprint of God in you. You're making a difference in how you contribute. Oh, by the way, um, go back to this. Uh, If you read further in the text, they're also gifted with teaching this skill to others. Reproducing it. We're not meant to just keep our gifts. We're meant to share, equip others, bless others with our gift. And in turn, the way it works is we'll be blessed by other people's gifts and it becomes a society of giving, not me first and hoarding and taking. Then you have these guys, Jubal, 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 and Tubal Cain. There we go. Great names again. I can actually pronounce those. His brother's name was Jubal, the first of all who played the harp and flute. Lamech's other wife, Zillah, I love these names, gave birth to a son named Tubal Cain. He became an expert in forging tools of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain had a sister named Naima. Jabel was the first rancher, the father of those who live in the tents and raise livestock. Jubal was the first musician, the father of all who play the harp and flute. All your gifts, people. Craftsmen, music, everything we experience, this is all God's dance of love and giftedness for all of us to enjoy. Comedians, artists, musicians. Name a job. There's gifts in there. There are young people being apprentices. Mechanics. These are all gifts of, that require skill. And you can, your skills can improve. Everybody is participating in the Trinity here. Everybody. They just may not know it. I'm trying to wake you up to this reality to say, I, I am making a difference. And it's not about I, self as an ego, but the oneness I am with Christ, my true identity is making a difference. That's powerful. Helping people with finances. You know, money, that, that's a gift. Some people are really good with money. Some people have a hard time with administration. Other people can help them. You know, Terry sells houses. You know, not everybody can go buy a house. They, they need somebody who's skilled at knowing how to put all this together. All the legal blah, blah. Just tell me where to sign. You know, that, that's a gift. Helping people establish a home. Don't underestimate what God has done in you and through you. Here's another one. Let's go back to David. Shobi, Mahir, and Barzilla. Oops. Yeah, Zilla, yeah. Yeah, Godzilla. <laughs> anyway, just kidding. When David, okay, David's on the run now. This is much later. Uh, his life is being sought after. Uh, this is after, uh, 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 what's his name? Absalom tried to, to take him out. So this is a few chapters later. Here comes some real help. When David arrived at Menanim, he was warmly greeted by Shobi, son of Nashath, who came from Rabbah of the Ammonites, by Machir, son of Emil, from Lodbar, and by Barzilla of Gilead, from Rojalim. Uh, 
They brought sleeping mats, cooking pots, serving bowls, wheat and barley, flour, roasted grain, beans, lentils, honey, butter, sheep, wild goats, and cheese. Just kidding. For David and those who were with him. For they said, you must all be very hungry and tired and thirsty after your long march to the wilderness. This is the gift of hospitality and seeing needs and meeting them. Wow. The gift of seeing a need and meeting it. Especially when somebody's in trouble. There are many in this church family that are good at that. Quickly, get a meal together for somebody that's hurting or whatever. You can make a difference. Sometimes we need ideas. Sometimes the ideas come and then the Holy Spirit reminds us, ah, that was a great idea. I'm going to try that. For joy's sake. You can make a difference. You are making a difference. I'm going to save the next one for next week. Please, if you feel insecure, that your life isn't counting for much, or you haven't got much left to give, don't kid yourself. God has a unique plan for you. He creates the desire in you as we learned last week. He gives you the strength to do the thing that you desire that he gave you in the first place and he does the result of the thing he gave you the desire to do and the energy to do it. He's also the result. We are just participants, which is what it's like to be in the center of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In a relational dance, it happens naturally as he directs the dance and the dance of life. Open your eyes this week. Put your antenna up. Look for that one thing. I remember Lori and I go to garage sales all the time and uh, people usually ask, so what you looking for? Nothing. Quit bugging me. Um, but I usually, usually it, when, I, when Lori and I joke, it's I'm looking for that one thing and I'll know it when I see it. You know? Well, this week, look for that one person where you can speak life and encouragement into. Just one. Whether it's through a kind eye or giving a guy a couple bucks who needs it. Even if you judge that they don't, who are you to judge? How are you going to love? How are you going to be the love of Christ to this world this week? Just one person. That's it. One at a time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for those of us who are trying to make a difference in our own self-effort from a place of ego, reputation, greed, even if we don't admit it, will you please cause repentance in us, metanoia, a change of mind, and instead see that you are the great conductor of this orchestra of life. And you are orchestrating all the parts and sounds and instruments to make an incredible song. And we are part of that song. Help us not to be self-centered, but to focus our eyes on you, the author, the starter, the beginninger, and perfecter of our faith the faith you have given us. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.